It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If the Bengals are successful at anything in 2019, it's that their tank, if that's what they're trying to do, has put them square into first place when it comes to lining up the 2020 NFL Draft. This is your Locked On Bengals lead story of the day. I'm Joe Goodberry. Football outsiders and their... Analytics gives the Bengals a 59% chance to end up with the top overall pick next year. And if you watched this Saturday's games, Joe Burrow, Tua, Tungavaloa put on a show and I think got Bengals fans very, very excited for that prospects. Biggest competition seems to be the Washington Redskins at this point. Those two teams in every model keep coming out with either the one or two pick. And depending on how you feel about Dwayne Haskins, and I guess we'll find out if the Redskins plan on pulling a Josh Rosen when their new coach eventually arrives and drafting a new guy. But if not, Bengals should still be the number one team in line to draft a quarterback. And that, at the very least, gets a lot of Bengals fans excited. So they're doing one thing right. I think we all still want them to win one game eventually. And maybe that'll be this week as the Bengals travel to Oakland to play the Raiders, where Derek Carr and John Gruden are actually on fire for... All the turmoil and things they dealt with with Antonio Brown in the offseason, the Raiders have found a way to be a really competitive team this year. And Derek Carr is having his Andy Dalton 2015 season, if you will. He looks like the real deal. And if there weren't so many good quarterbacks out there, I could see him being MVP conversation, especially if they start rattling off a few of these wins. But the Bengals have their own quarterback situation going on. Ryan Finley, after his first start, the coaches got to watch the film, critique him a little bit. And here's what they had to say today. Offensive coordinator Brian Callahan said, quote, It was good and bad when talking about Ryan Finley's first start. About what we had expected for rookie quarterback making his first start against a difficult defense. He did a really good job in the pocket. And I talked about that yesterday. I do think, and on watching it, that was the one clear upgrade from Ryan Finley to Andy Dalton is they got more plays off that they probably shouldn't have. But Callahan continues to say, there were a couple of throws that I think he'd like to have back. He's getting used to, to playing NFL caliber football and not preseason football. Real starting football against a good defense. And so his timing was a little bit off. I think you'll see a pretty dramatic leap for him in game two. And that comes from Tyler Dragon's Twitter account. Uh, today's press conference with Zach Taylor looks like Brian Callahan was able to speak also. Taylor seemed equally as critical and positive at the same time, saying, quote, he's going to learn from stuff like that, talking about Ryan Finley's interception, and he finished saying, it's not always going to be easy. And it's not going to be easy. They've got a lot of issues, injuries, depth issues, heck, starting issues, right? Zach Taylor says, what options do we have when people ask if Taylor's going to make changes or put in a new player? But I think they've tried everything on offense at this point, including quarterback. But Taylor goes on to say a lot of them are out there making plays, and I think Finley did a great job extending some plays and giving guys some opportunities. And to me, I think that's key also. Because watching Andy Dalton over the last few years, and while last year he was actually extending plays and making plays outside the pocket, I gave a lot of credit to Alex Van Pelt, the quarterback's coach. 
it wasn't there. And that wasn't, when we look back now, I think 2018 was more of an anomaly for Andy Dalton for whatever reason. He was breaking the pocket and making plays. But Finley doing that and giving these receivers a chance to uh, break it off, make something happen. When things break down, you see a lot of big plays in the NFL these days. So Finley doing that was definitely a big difference from Andy Dalton, and I'm glad Taylor acknowledged it because, to me, that's something I've focused on for the last couple of draft classes now. What can a player do off script? When everything's not perfect, what do they bring to the table? How do they function? What's their first reaction? Can they stay cool? Can they keep their eyes up and make a play at quarterback? And I think Finley at least did that, even though I wouldn't have said that was a strength of his when looking at him at college tape, NC State. I think if anything, in the pocket, yes, he would slide and step up. It was no issue for him. He was almost oblivious to pressure at times. And I would say this is the case off one game so far. Even receiver Tyler Boyd noticed this and mentioned it. He said, quote, It's great when you can use your legs and get out of the pocket. He seemed confident the entire game. He didn't put his head down. He didn't get frustrated and always went on to the next play. Ryan Finley had also something to say. He said, quote, there's a ton to work on, obviously. And he finishes with saying, this team's not going to give up. And I'm sure as heck not going to let anybody give up. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to compete. I think our whole offense is ready to do that. Well, Ryan Finley will get that chance as I expect him to get these final seven games. Now, if he performs poor enough, a lot of people have asked, will we see Jake Dolagala at some point? Yeah, I think we could. Let's see if that happens somewhere down the line. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So it's Monday, and we get our PFF grades from the previous game, the Baltimore Ravens. Obviously, a lot on defense. Not great, as the Bengals were pretty much embarrassed the entire game. But one guy stood out to me. That was William Jackson. Only played 24 snaps despite being healthy. And I know the Bengals came out with a three-safety defense, but it was B.W. Webb as the one corner, and it was Brandon Wilson, I guess, replacing William Jackson in the base defense. I I just can't get behind that or that idea when, number one, the first play of the game, they hit Hollywood Brown down the middle of the field, the hash, really, and that's B.W. Webb and Brandon Wilson's side. So you kind of created that on your own, and I guess the cynic in me goes, well, Lou Anarumo, right? He B.W. Webb's his guy. Of course he's going to put him in there as the one corner. He's been healthy all year. He's been fighting. He's been a leader. All those things. But you want to run with Hollywood Brown, that's William Jackson, and that's what he does. But Jackson has really turned it around lately. Looking at PFF grades, after the first three weeks where he had a 27, a 22, and a 36 tackling grade, he's been at 72, 75, 78, 73, and 72. Again, he hasn't missed a tackle in that span. So he's been much better there. I'm sure he's not going to get in and, and get his nose in. He's not a Darquest Denard type where he is a positive run defender, an actual help to the team. But he's not embarrassing himself the last few weeks. And I started to go over his coverage grades and things like that because 
you know, looking at him and trying to say, well, how many of these defensive guys do you want to keep going into the future, right? If you feel like the roster is going to be purged at some point here, and I, I do see that happening. William Jackson's been actually really good this year, and his grades aren't fantastic from PFF, but he's been targeted 29 times, given up 16 catches. If you're wondering, that's 55% completion, and if you look over his career, 55.2 this year, 55.1 last year, 35% in that really great 2017 season, but still overall for this for his career now, that's at 49%. You throw in William Jackson's directions, it's a 50-50 pass. That's why quarterbacks aren't throwing it that way. It's just not worth the risk of, of throwing it. And I wish he had more interceptions because from an evaluation perspective, I think he has tremendous ball skills. I don't think he gets to show it very often because after that first year, offense said, okay, we're not going to attack him that way. How many times now do we get to see long passes against him? DK Metcalf had one week one. That's about it. You, you see posts, you see slants, you see inside breaking routes because he's got these long legs. But he's broken up a bunch of passes this year too. Uh, at least I feel he has and, and, and gotten his hand in there. So Jackson's an interesting one because I think he's the type of guy that if he went to the right team would be an all-pro. Like Stephon Gilmore with the Bills what was a similar conversation. I know because I live in Buffalo. Where they're like, yeah, he's good, but... Man, a lot of mistakes, or, or he doesn't tackle that well sometimes, or he just doesn't see the ball, or he gives up on the play, and then New England gets him, and he's locked down, the number one corner in the league, front runner, the athletic had him as defensive player of the year. I think William Jackson would do the same for the Patriots. They'd get him, and they'd be like, oh, great, this is our guy. This is our lockdown number one corner, because I think he has that ability and that type of uh, skill set. So, Jackson's one guy to keep. I thought the interesting part for this game, looking at PFF grades, was how Jesse Bates graded. And it was his best game of the season, according to them. And I don't know if anybody expected that or recognized it during the game, because I think he gave up a touchdown to Mark Andrews, but really nothing you can do. I thought it was a great throw, great catch, right? One of those things. But looking at defensive grades, the Bengals' Jesse Bates ends up with an 85 overall. And it's probably because of that interception. And yeah, it's nice to end up on the, the positive end of a play for Bates, but he did continue to miss some tackles. He was charged with two missed tackles, and I think that puts him on 13 for the year. He had 14 all year last year. Bates is still a guy I want. You know, he's still a guy I want to be good, and I want him to be on this team and be a cornerstone player. But this, I guess this is a positive direction that he, he was graded this way by them. The, the other top guys, Anthony Zettel didn't get enough snaps, only eight, but he would be next. For the guys that actually played, 36 snaps for Andrew Billings, 77 grade. So that's really good for him. Atkins, 70, which is where he's been all year. Just okay to above average, good enough. And then Jordan Evans got some playing time, 11 snaps. He was actually next. So that's someone I'm going to go back and watch because Zach Taylor said today he wants somebody from that linebacker unit to step up and be a leader. He recognized. He's, he put it on blast. He put it out there. These linebackers are not good enough. Newsflash, right? Breaking news. We didn't know this, but the linebackers are not good enough. So interesting day for those guys. If you're wondering who was the worst against Baltimore, Brandon Wilson, Leroy Reynolds, even though he only had seven snaps. So let's do the guys that had a lot of snaps. Brandon Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, Nick Vigil, 
Preston Brown, and B.W. Webb. All right, that's where <laughs> that's those are the usual suspects. I mean, Webb's had a decent year, so I, I don't want to pick on him. But on the offensive side, so this is PFF grades, and I know a lot of people looked at that one play where Finley broke away from a guy and then hit Mixon, allowed Mixon to get a first down, I believe. But he extended the play, and it looks like Billy Price completely whiffs on his block. But if you watch that and you know what's going on, it looks like they're sliding protection to the right, and John Jerry just does not go with it on the left side. But they're also having Auden Tate and Drew Sample block between those gaps. So it could have been one of those two guys not picking it up also. It's a weird design. I know you would think Billy Price would just say, hey, I don't have anyone else to block. I'm going to take this guy. But I don't think it was his guy. And PFF agrees. They ended up with a 70 grade overall for Billy Price, 83 in pass protection. I believe he was charged with one pressure. That's a really good game for Billy Price. I mean, this in terms of grade, no. I didn't think it was that good. I thought he was a really good run blocker, and they had him at a 63. Their run block, pass block grades can't be compared because I feel like there's, for some reason, 15 points lower in any run block. But I thought Price had a, had a few nice holes opened up. The top two linemen for them were Billy Price at a 70, John Miller at a 69. For the rest of the old line, 60 for John Jerry, 60 for Bobby Hart, and Trey Hopkins was worst of the season, 44 grade. So... If you want to know where Ryan Finley was, he was a 43 overall. So just like total QBR over on ESPN, which is based on all analytics, he was, I believe, the second or third worst quarterback. So, yeah, not a great day from the analytics department in terms of what Ryan Finley's day looked like. The best guys, Tyler Eifert and Joe Mixon. In fact, Joe Mixon's grade of an 80 overall, I believe it's 79.9. That's the highest I've seen from him all year. Yes, it is. And I'm looking back. At, yeah, he's never. He had a 78 last year overall. So his grade overall last year, we led the AFC in rushing, was a 78. And this game was a 79.9. So if you think about that, this is one of the best days he had. I thought he was reading his blocks incredibly well. Very efficient. He was quick to the hole. The only issue I have with Mixon at this point is he just rams into these safeties. He just pile drives them. I don't think he's trying to make them miss at all at times. He just, the lean he has, I don't know if you ever noticed this. I'm going to pause it, actually. I'm going to post a picture of this on on Twitter. I think it was Earl Thomas. He's going to the right sideline. It's just he and Earl Thomas down the sideline. And he is leaning like, you know, Michael Jackson video leaning forward so hard. He just crushes into Earl Thomas. And yet he punishes him. But you could maybe make that guy miss. You know, I watch these other running backs around the league and see them turn good runs into great runs. And I guarantee you, it's not because they're running guys over. It's because they're making a miss. And I think that's the next step for Mixon right here. Because I, I, if this, if the focus in the bye week was to get the run game going, then success, right? They did. They were able to do that. And if that was the case, the uh, the next step, the next level to get him back to where he was last year is he's got to make some guys miss. He had the most 20-yard runs in the league last year. I'm not sure he's had one this year or he only has one. But point being is, if you're going to turn some of these runs into that, you got to make somebody miss in the second level. So that's, that's what, something to watch for for Mixon. And I just went back to last year. He had one gamer as an 80-point 
eight. So one game he's ever graded better than this, and that was against the New Orleans Saints, if you were wondering. So they think it was a fantastic game for Mixon. So good for him. Finally, you know, he's had a bad old line in front of him, but maybe a week off of not running behind that line rejuvenated or re-sparked his vision. Good game for Mixon. Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340 thousand restaurants in 3,300 cities. So you may just find a new favorite also. Right now, our listeners can get a $5 off coupon with their first order of 15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. I've used it. It works. Order your food. Get it delivered. It's not weird at all. It's actually pretty awesome. I know it's not the mailbag episode, but I got a question today while I was on Twitter talking Bengals, and it was from Andrew Dockerell. And this was when, you know, people were saying, well, the Bengals scouting department was in Tuscaloosa to watch the Alabama-LSU game. And Andrew asks, how important is it to have scouts at games in the modern age with all the tape available? Is it more of a connection with the university's thing? And this is a good question, Andrew, because a lot of people have asked this lately. And even the Bengals in 2015 wrote an article, Jeff Hobson did it on Bengals.com about them going into the modern and digital age of scouting where it's more important to watch film and cr- you know really crunch as much film as possible rather than spend days traveling to games and universities to talk, to meet, uh, to watch tape. You used to have to do that in the old days. To get the tape, you either had to know someone or get in touch with the coach, go to the university, watch film with them a lot of times on these players. I'm talking old, old day, but... Now everything's digital. You can get it sent to you in no time. So I kind of understand why the Bengals may say, like, we can't waste our time with that because they have limited scouting staff. And because I do think there's more value in separating yourselves a little bit. We talk about this, Jake and I did. We said we are kind of, you know, outside looking in. We're outside of the bubble. We can say, hey, Bobby Hart's not good. But because the Bengals know him, talk to him, see him every day, they say, well, I think he's got upside when there's no evidence there. So when I... I think of scouting at a collegiate level, being there, what are the benefits? And I, I do this when I go down the senior bowl. What do you notice? What do you see? What pops off? What looks different? A lot of times there's things you don't expect. Maybe it's, man, this guy throws with a little bit of zip. There's more velocity on that pass than I expected. Your TV may only show you at 60 frames per second, but in live, in person, you will see, oh, wow. There's a little bit more on that ball. The guy may may look a little bit bigger. Everyone can be listed at, if you take three guys listed at 6'3", 250, and line them up, they're not going to look the same. Their arms are going to be different length, legs, their, their build, uh, you know, where the where the meat and potatoes is and, and where their strengths are. You're going to see that in person. And eventually teams will see all this stuff anyways. You'll see it at the combine. You'll get the arm length measurements, the hand measurements, all that at the senior bowl and combine. But sometimes... It's the little things. How do they react on the sideline? Uh, what do the coaches think of that guy? How do the players react around him? What's the atmosphere? What's the aura? What's the back channel talk with that player? And I think you get a lot of that by going to the stadiums and just 
being in the atmosphere and, and seeing it live and talking to people that are also there. So there is some benefit to it. But I think in anything, especially when it comes to evaluation, is how do you value th- that evaluation? I've struggled with this myself. It's looking at a guy, take Tyler Boyd, for example. If you read what I wrote on him, I nailed Tyler Boyd coming out of Pitt. I said, basically, you hope he's Jarvis Landry. And he pretty much is, which is a very good slot receiver. But I didn't place the correct value on that. I said, that's third, fourth round type stuff. And he went in the second round. And he's been good. And he's earned a second contract. And he's been a good player. My valuation of my evaluation was incorrect. I wasn't right. I didn't know how to place the correct value on that. The system I used it said, well, that should be a day three pick. Early day three, late day two. I was wrong. But my value, the words were right. I, I Basically, everything I said was correct. So when you start to weigh the things you hear, the things you see, talking to the player if you can, all of these things are going to influence your evaluation. But what does it really come down to at the end, right? What does it come down to? Can he play? And are his skills translatable to the NFL field? Everything else just kind of dilutes and pollutes. It helps formulate the entire picture, but I'm not sure it always helps you. And then you have to value what you whittle that all down to and say, this is who he is. This is who the player is. How do you place the correct value on that? A lot of teams have grading sheets and charts, whether it's one through eight or one through 10, and it'll basically, oh, I gave this guy an eight, so that means he should be a second rounder. Or I gave this guy a 9.5, if it's out of 10, I'm talking. This guy should be a top 10 pick. And that should help you value it. But still, I mean, you see teams miss all the time. You see forecasters and analysts miss all the times, even though the, the, you know, the words are correct. The evaluation was correct. So I liked Andrew's question here because I thought it, it opened up a much larger conversation and topic on what is the value of it in terms of going to see these guys live versus watching the tape and just cramming the tape as much as possible. Because for me, one thing also I think teams could do better. If it was me, I would have one scout for each position. A lot of teams have scouts for areas, and they do that because they have to travel, so it makes the travel easier. If you're a Northwest scout, you go see Washington and Oregon and maybe even USC. But does that help them hone their craft? What if a guy's a really good quarterback evaluator but not a good running back evaluator? So you may miss somebody because he's not good at looking at running backs that's in the Northwest. Where if you do go to more modern age digital tape, you know, focus on watching them play, I would have, okay, you're a running back scout. You're the best guy I know when it comes to running backs. I want you to watch all 45 eligible prospects that might get drafted and you rank them. Because I think comparing them one-to-one is the best way I do it. It may be different for everyone else, but comparing one running back, putting on the next guy, next guy, next guy, next guy on tape, it really, for me, makes it clear as day who's better than the next guy. And I think I just said next guy a lot in the last two minutes. So forgive me. But point being is, that's how I do it. You know, I'd have offensive line guys just look at O-line. Linebacker guys only look at defensive line. Because there's, even me, I, even me. But me, I know I ha- I'm worse at watching linebackers. 
no coincidence the Bengals also are because I think they read my stuff. But I'm worse at watching linebackers. I'm worse at watching running backs, even though I feel good there, I think, in terms of where I'm the weakest. Sometimes on the offensive line, I get, I you know, I, I, I think I value some of the wrong things. So things I'm working on, but I think I'm good at receiver. I think I'm good at corner. I think I'm good at defensive end. So, you know, I would just say I would, I would organize it that way. And I don't know what got me onto this whole thing, but I was thinking about it. When Andrew sent that question, I started rambling in my car as I'm waiting for my brother to bring something back to his house. I was going to help him carry it into his house. I'm sitting out there 40 minutes. Long story, it's snowing really bad up here in Buffalo. And I monologued this all to myself. So I figured I'd save it for the final uh, segment of today's podcast. Jake will be back on in some capacity tomorrow. And I think he'll do the five-minute open. He'll do the lead story. I've got crossover Wednesday with the guys from the Oakland Raiders, which I think is a fun topic. You know, at least a team to look at and say, they turned it around pretty quickly for how bad they looked just two years ago. They've got a chance to make the playoffs in the AFC, at least as a wild card. The Chiefs lost. If they can handle business with the Chiefs, maybe they even win that division. I think that would be tough. I still think KC comes away with it. But the Raiders are an interesting team for me based on how they drafted three first-round picks last year. How are those guys doing? I'll be interested to see what they say. But that's it for today, guys. Thanks for listening to me ramble the last two days by myself. Kind of hard to get through sometimes when you're on your own. I need Jake back. Jake, he's not listening. If you are, come back soon. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.